Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. You know, some things never change. I remember being dragged as a kid to Florida to visit my grandmother who lived in Miami for a long time. And it turns out kids are still complaining about being dragged to Florida. Probably not if they're going to the theme park mecca that is Orlando. Uh, But the wonderful Beth Harpaz, one of our favorite guests, wrote a recent article on just this subject. Hey, Beth, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. It's so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. Well, tell us what the article was titled. It's called Eight Places to Dazzle the Grandkids in Florida. I just want to say it's not just about grandkids, you know, it's about (laughs) kids, it's about teenagers, it's about you yourself, because most of the places that are on this list are places that I have been with other adults, with children and without children, and they're all really terrific. Yeah, and some of them are quite surprising. You know, like everyone in media, I am terrified about the AI chatbots that are coming along. There, there's uh, everybody's saying they're going to replace writers, but I don't think any chatbot could have come up <laughs> with the first place you suggest for taking, I guess, the teenage and the tween yeah. aged grandchildren, yeah. which is to thrift stores. Yeah, well, I, that never would have occurred to me as a great thing, but of course it is. Yeah, and you know, P- Palm Beach County, which is what this article is about, um, not. South Beach, Miami, not Orlando, as you mentioned, but Palm Beach County. The number one demographic of people moving to Palm Beach are from New York. Um, Mm. And this has been going on for decades, as you indicate. My cousins moved down there years ago when my kids were little. And my cousin very generously welcomed us when I had a four-year-old and a nine-year-old. Then my sister moved down. Then my niece moved down. I mean, I go to the store there and I run into my, you know, my relatives Um, and when my kids were teenagers, it was easier when they were little, you go to the pool, they're happy. But when they got to be 11, 12, 13, you know, they, they get bored. And the thing is, it's a, you know, there's a lot of very wealthy people. Mar-a-Lago is there. Um, Mm -hmm. it's always been a place of, you know, charity dinners and country clubs. And so, you know, the rich ladies clean out their closets and they discard their goodies. And as a result, I mean, there are literally dozens of thrift shops. I tried to emphasize the, you know, the more affordable ones right. um, in my story, but I did have some fun times with my, and, and I have boys, you know, this is not just about, you know, somebody who wants sure. to dress, a party and prom dress, but, you know, a Lacoste shirt for five bucks, sneakers for 10 bucks. Um, and I spoke Roller to- skates. So you can actually find toys yeah, at these toys, shops. Sports. I mean, I, I spoke to one grandma whose kids, grandkids, come down, and she said that the boys found um, shirts themed on their favorite video game, and she got, as you said, roller skates for two bucks for her granddaughter. So there's just all kinds of great stuff. Church mouse. There's a lot of um, thrift stores that are raising money for local charities, whether they're rehab centers, churches, um, you know, children's organizations. So Church Mouse in Palm Beach is a very well-organized store with lots of uh, great clothes at bargain prices. Yeah. And that's important because there is a difference between thrift shops and consignment right. shops. Consignment shops are the places where uh, these uh, wealthy Floridians are trying to make a little money 
off of the goods that they offload. And so sometimes you'll find, I don't know, goods from Gucci and Prada and other high-end labels that are only slightly marked down. So right. you There's want still to hundreds go- or thousands of dollars, right? That's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. But you know, it's it's the nice labels that are you know maybe not affordable, um, but at a thrift shop they are affordable. You know where you could get Lacoste, Banana Republic, J Crew, Lily Pulitzer down there is big. You know the floral designs, um, that kind of thing. That's that's what you, that's the thrift shop that the that you're looking for. Like you said, thrift, not consignment. Right now, you also talk about one of the I think. Uh, one of the things that you only see in Florida, or you see in Florida and very few other places. Uh, For centuries, sailors and others thought that manatees were mermaids because they are the most wondrously shaped, almost human-looking creatures. And there are places to see manatees and other critters that you only see in Florida. So I guess this is geared towards slightly younger kids. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the kid. I mean, you know, some kids are very into nature, animal science. My older son was always super interested in that. So even when I had a four-year-old, but I also had a nine-year-old or, you know, a, an eight-year-old and a, and a 13, 14-year-old, the older guy was interested in that stuff. So there's a place called Manatee Lagoon in West Palm. Um, It's actually, it's a place where the warm water flows out of a a power and light plant. And obviously with, with, with wild animals, there's, there are no guarantees of a sighting, Um, but the manatees tend to go there in the cooler months. We're just starting to be past that November to March is the high season, but it's, you know, it's worth, it's worth a stop. It doesn't take a long time. It's free. There's a parking lot. Um, So you might want to do that, you know, on a day when you're making some other stops where you're guaranteed to have a, a great hit and just say, Hey, let's go hunt and see, maybe we'll see them. Maybe we won't you know, as as you and I know in the travel industry, it's all about managing expectations. And that's true whether you're taking people on a very expensive tour or whether uh-huh. you're taking, you know, a seven-year-old to hunt for manatees. You want to explain like <laughs> they're wild animals. They might be there. They might not be there. Let's go look. Um, you know, and hopefully, I mean, it's Florida. You always see interesting birds. You often see other creatures in the water and alligators and things like that. So even if you don't see the manatee, hopefully you see something else. Sea turtles, this is one of the top sea turtle areas in the country. In in the summertime, they have sea turtle walks where you can actually go and see nesting on the beach and stuff. Mm. But there are two nature centers, Gumbo Limbo and Loggerhead. Uh, One is in Boca, one is in Juneau Beach. And they treat sea turtles that have been injured. And I went there a few months ago with my niece's little boy who's five, and he just absolutely loved it. Um, you know, because they're in these enclosures where they're being treated. And it's just interesting to hear about their injuries. I mean, it's sad, but um, like they had a disabled turtle who had a flotation device on his back, like a huh. little knapsack. So that he Oh could, my goodness. Yeah, it was really cool. So he could go up and down in his in his in his enclosure. And they have all kinds of other things. They had a butterfly garden, they had a lab where they were uh hatching sea turtles, they had seahorses, they had a trail outside, they had a scavenger hunt. We had a blast. It was really fun. It it yeah, it sounds amazing. And 
So those are the ways to look at nature, but there are also ways to actually get in the water. And this seemed like it's more varied yeah. than it was when I was going to Florida. When I was going to Florida, uh, well, here's an interesting story. Uh, when I was a toddler in Florida, we were visiting my grandmother. We were on the beach and my parents were the typical distracted 1970s parents. And uh, they let me just wander around. And apparently I was wandering into the surf. I started going deep. Oh my God. And Jackie Gleason was on the beach plucked me out of the water oh my this gosh. Is a family story and started wandering up in the beach up and down the beach yelling whose kid is this oh i just saved God. her <laughs> so jackie gleason so saved my life my my mother used that as a story for years to laugh about the fact that she was a very distracted parent that is hilarious <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness wow okay but well. anyway, for <laughs> older kids yeah, who just I mean, don't want to just slash, you know, splash around on sure. the shore. I mean, there are tons of beaches in the Palm Beach area in Palm Beach County. And, you know, most of us who go down there to visit, you know, grandma, grandpa or aunt or uncle or whoever is going to say like, oh, yeah, we always go to this beach. I mean, there's, you know, it's like it's like uh, New York and Long Island. There's any number of beaches where you could go to just put your towel on the sand, wade in the surf, play with sand, et cetera. But as you say, they also have um, a fair number of, um, I guess, concessions in some of yeah, these places right. where you can, you know, you can rent a kayak or a paddleboard or a jet ski. You can take lessons. You can do snorkeling. Um, and so the the article mentions, you know, a number of these. And there's also um, a sunset catamaran cruise from downtown West Palm Beach. And you know, no matter how, no matter what age you're kids and your family are. Sometimes after a long day when you've been running around, you went to the thrift store, you went to look for the manatee, you know, whatever. You're just exhausted by dinner time. And right, um, right. sometimes to just, let's just get on a boat and just chill for an hour. And, you know, that would be really nice too. Um, one place I actually have not been here, but it was highly recommended to me by a number of people with kids of various ages. And I'm going down at the end of April to visit. We have a new baby in the family. Congratulations. Yes, yeah, thank you. But I am going to take the five-year-old who now has a new little brother and maybe the older guy needs a little attention. I'm planning on taking him to um, Riverbend Park on the Loxahatchee River in Jupiter. Everyone says it's a magical place. Um, you can rent canoes, kayaks, paddleboards. They have guided tours. They have trails for walking and biking. There's deer, owls, alligators. Mm. Um, and it just sounds really, really great. Another yeah. popular spot is called Peanut Island. And this is a man-made island in Lake Worth Lagoon. And getting there is an adventure in itself. You can walk across at low tide. It's 10 minutes huh. from, the, from the Riviera Beach Marina. Or you can take a 10-minute ferry, a water taxi. You could rent a paddleboard and paddleboard across. It's funny because I said, well, what do you do with your paddleboards when you get to the island and you want to go hiking or you want to go, you know, do whatever? And they said, oh, you just leave your paddleboard on the beach. I'm like, doesn't, won't someone steal it? And they go, you're not in New York anymore, Beth. You know, we're not going to steal your rented paddleboard. Just leave it on the beach. Go do your thing. It's fine. So anyway, that's, so that's another great option. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're we're getting into the hot weather season in Florida. Yes. And I know that like last year, I think they, they've seen record visitation even in June, July, and August, which to me is insane because it's so hot and humid down there. But and, anyway. and we do, of course, we, you know, I mean, I 
they're in April, various holidays, kids often have a week off. So, sure. you know, sometimes right. people go down this time of year. It's spring well. break season for spring Florida. Breaks. And that exactly. makes sense. Spring that makes sense. Season. But going into the hotter weather, you also have some indoor places yep. to go to, one of which, and I'm seeing, I, I, I remember encountering the first of these I ever saw in Las Vegas. It's a place where there are ret- not retro, but I guess yeah. classic uh, games yeah. to play. So uh, pinball machines yeah. and old-fashioned video games. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, Silver Ball Retro Arcade. And um, you know, for those of you who have access to the New York Times, they have a fantastic photo of just yeah. banks of these things with glowing screens and, you know, people of various ages. I mean, it's actually, you know, depending on how old grandpa is, you know, he may be a pinball wizard. You never know. (laughs) Um, I mean, my husband just retired and he loves skee-ball. You know, I grew up playing Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man. And of course, there are video games there for, you know, superhero themed games, sports themed games. It's called Silverball Retro Arcade. It's in Delray Beach. And like you said, you know, air-conditioned or if it's raining, we get these tropical rainstorms down in Florida. That's a that's uh-huh. a great indoor alternative. As is, I might add, I took uh, my little uh, my niece's little boy who was four at the time to the Cox Science Center because we were down there on a rainy day, and we were like, "Oh, he's four years old. Is he gonna get a science center?" Oh my God! Five hours later, my husband <laughs> and I were ready to just plots. We were like, we went into the planetarium. My husband immediately fell asleep. The four-year-old was still running around after five hours investigating everything. The water table, the fishing game, the hurricane simulator. And they have a lot of stuff for older kids too. Journey through the human brain about neuroscience, states of matter, uh, science on a sphere. So, you know, if you have a scientifically interested older kid, they're going to love it. But if you have a little kid, there's just so much there. Yeah. And I love the fact that you didn't want to assume that all kids and families are Philistines. You also send them to an art museum and to a, a Japanese Zen garden. Well, you know, one of the things about um, the tweens and the teens and, you know, college kids too, because a lot of times we go down with, you know, many different ages. I have a 30-year-old son who often meets us down there. One thing that they love, they love a great spot for their TikToks or their selfies <laughs> or their Instagram. And like oh the my. Japanese garden, Murakami, that is Personally, that is my number one favorite place in the Palm Beach area. Oh my gosh, this mm. place is so beautiful. My favorite thing about it is there is a bamboo forest. And if you just have to listen, because the bamboo is, they're talking to you. They whistle, they squeak, they creak, they sway, they rustle. It's just, oh. it's, I can't even describe to you what an experience it is to, to just stand there and immerse yourself in the soundscape. And not that I want someone with a TikTok to come and ruin that for me, but, you know, if you had a kid that was into making videos or, you know, that kind of thing, it, that might be a draw, you know, so mm. if, if they're going to say like, oh, a museum and garden, like, that's not interesting. Okay, wait till you do your selfies in the, your little video reels in the, in the bamboo forest. And, and Murakami is a really interesting place. In the early 20th century, Palm Beach County had a colony of Japanese farmers. They mostly went out of business. But there was one left after World War II. And of course, during World War II, although they were not rounded up and incarcerated the way Japanese Americans in the West were, right. it was difficult for them to sustain what they wanted to do. 
But there was one guy, George Murakami, who was left after World War II, and he donated his land to the county, and that is now Murakami Museum and Japanese Gardens. They have a series of gardens inspired by Japanese traditions. They have art. They have a film about the Japanese farming colony, which is fascinating. And they actually have a really good cafe, um, both with Asian fusion food and chicken nuggets for your little guys. (laughs) Well, I love the way you framed that. I mean, for even for people who don't think they like art museums, I think that that could be uh, something that would would appeal. Well, uh, there's more in the article. You should get it. It's on the New York Times site. It's probably it. it did it run in there? It's uh, going to be in this edition? weekend in the Sunday travel section, I believe. Yeah, and the oh, photos fabulous. are just beautiful. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Beth, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. It was so much fun, Pauline. Thank you for the opportunity. There are certain travel subjects that have to be approached with caution. They have such high emotions tied to them. And one of those is Kansas City Barbecue. But we went there on Fromers.com and I wanted to do the same on this podcast. So I've invited the author of our article, which is called, These Are Actually the Best Barbecue Restaurants in Kansas City, parentheses, don't hate us. His name is Dan Renzi. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. <laughs> and I got to say, your your article was so much fun. I love the fact that at weddings, to keep the peace with families, <laughs> people will put different barbecue sauces oh, yeah. on each table. Uh, why, why does it uh, elicit such strong emotions? Because the flavors of these different barbecues are so distinct. And I think that there is a somewhat of a, uh, you know, a, a pride in, in identifying with the type of barbecue that you like, because a lot of times it's grouped together as like, Oh, Kansas city barbecue and sort of, you know, brushed off as this one type of cuisine. And actually every restaurant is very specific, the way they cook, very specific, the way they bottle their sauce. And, you know, it's like different vineyards, you know, I mean, everyone has their Mm. favorite white wine, you know, you're not going to just arbitrarily, well, maybe you will, depending on who you are, you may just drink whatever Uh, wine's in front of you. I do it by (laughs) how pretty the label is, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, and people, it's just, there's a really, there's a friendly rivalry among the different barbecue joints here. I don't know why I just said barbecue joints. Like I'm trying to talk to be cool. <laughs> what is that not what they're called? Aren't they called barbecue well, joints? Well, yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, I mean, a lot of these places, uh, they are the proverbial hole in the wall, back right. road shacks that you would never know were there unless you were looking for them. And they are the best places. And so, you know, some of them have expanded and have become full scale restaurants but right. a lot of the best places, I mean, they're just, you know, blink and you miss it. And then you go in and the place is filled with smoke and <laughs> you smell like barbecue for the rest of the day, you know, and it's absolutely worth it because it's just yeah. fantastic. Before we get into the specific places, mm-hmm. tell me a little <clears throat> bit about the history. I thought I thought it was fascinating how... Uh, Kansas City became a center for barbecue. You know, it all started, I was at a restaurant called Woodyard, and uh, I was there to just try out 
whatever, you know, looked good. And I noticed that they had this literally a wood yard behind the restaurant. And I went out there and the owner's daughter uh, was out there and she's selling the wood like they've been selling since the 1950s. And that actually they referred to themselves as wood brokers because the barbecue restaurant owners who were black and the the foresters from the Missouri Ozarks who supplied the wood were white. As she said, they did not get along. And of course, hmm. you know, from the, you know, starting in the 1950s, I'm sh- that's presumably based in the racist attitudes of the time. Sure, and sure. so uh, that sort of those stories of how Woodyard became a restaurant and how this guy started being the broker uh, for the, the black businessmen and the white suppliers, it really opened up this story of just the you know, the issues of race and equity Mm. in business of like how this industry was built. And it goes all the way back to the early 1900s when there's this folk hero in Kansas City named Henry Perry. And he was a black entrepreneur who had a cart and he smoked meat because meat was in such plentiful supply from the Kansas City stockyards that uh, were huge. So this was a center of meat, yes. basically. There and, was just all, it wasn't expensive at that point. And, you know, and it's just, it was so easy to get really. And especially as time went on during the depression, barbecue became, you could smoke anything and huh. eat it, you know, and sometimes when money was tight, you, you know, you, yeah. it was, you weren't eating cow and you weren't eating chicken. And it was just a matter of what and whatever they would find and they would be able to smoke it or they'd be able to get the the lesser quality cuts and smoke it all day. And they would just sell it in these roadside shacks. And it really was um, one of the ways in Kansas City that black uh, business owners were able to compete. And, Hmm. you know, they had the resources to do it. And it was just, you know, the stories that these different business owners, because a lot of them are still with us, fortunately. And I was able to talk to like the family of the Gates barbecue restaurants who remember when the hotels were on the the Negro Motorists Green Book list uh, and, yeah. and talked about how people would stop at Gates barbecue because they were known to be a safe place for for black travelers. And sure. you know, this wasn't, I mean, this is it's recent enough that people are still alive that they remember this. And it was just oh. shocking to hear these stories. And, you know, a lot of the the story about the African-American experience in the United States is you know, it's it's rooted in the oppressiveness of this of the system. And mm. we don't hear the success stories. And this really mm. is one of the great success stories that these business owners were able to work within the system and build a name for themselves. And they're the ones who get, who really should get the credit for it. Right. And build a a lasting legacy. So let's talk about, about some of the restaurants where you can taste this history today, like uh, Joe's Kansas City. Yes. What makes Joe's Kansas City unique? Well, Joe's, it started out as an, as a restaurant called Oklahoma Joe's. And in Kansas City, they have the, the world's largest barbecue competition called the American Royal. And Joe won the American Royal one year and set up huh. an operation here. And that notoriety 
made his popularity explode throughout the city. And people, I mean, they just, they love the sauce. They love the sandwiches. And specifically, he has a, a sandwich called the Z-Man, which it's beef brisket with fried onions, but he has this particular type of smoked cheese and the mm. combination of everything. I mean, people, you should see the lines, the lines to get wow. into this restaurant stretch into the parking lot. And people, I mean, they just go crazy to the point where Paul Rudd, the actor who's in the Marvel movies, he actually is from the suburbs of Kansas City. And he orders, he orders this, these, these sandwiches or, you know, the ingredients for these sandwiches. And I called Joe's and asked them how they do it. And they send it to him. You know, they, they have this flash freezing method that they're able huh. to flash freeze everything without harming the integrity of the ingredients. And they, basically overnight it to Paul Rudd so he can have it for his parties in New York. <laughs> oh my goodness. I want to be invited to one of those. I know. It's, wow. I know. It sounds fantastic. And he, you know, there's, I have not had the pleasure of asking Paul Rudd about his love of Joe's Kansas City, <laughs> but he has, you know, just gone on about, and he just loves the sauce. And there's just a specific type of flavor when you mix the smoke and you mix the mm. spices of everything. It's like, you know, it's, it's what makes barbecue great. Yeah. Well, in your review of the second one, which is Arthur Bryant's yes. barbecue, you unearthed a dirty little secret, which is uh, about burnt ends. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is always my favorite thing to get when I get barbecue. But I didn't know I didn't realize that the wool was being pulled over my eyes. Yeah. Uh, talk about burnt ends and how they're done. Uh, in a non-kosher way. Oh. I, I shouldn't use that word when I'm talking about pork barbecue, but there you have it. Well, uh, burnt ends are a Kansas City staple. If you go to any barbecue restaurant in Kansas City, they have this, this item called burnt ends, which are that when you smoke a piece of brisket, they're the crispy edges on either on the tips that they are cut off because they're not really appropriate for slicing into strips of brisket to serve. And right. back in the mid-century at Arthur Bryant's, they would just, because the lines were so long, they would cut these burnt tips off and they would just hand them out to people to, while they waited for their food. And they are absolutely the most delicious thing, the most savory. I mean, just like this umami, you know, just hits yeah. your palate. And it's just like, it's such an exhilarating experience biting into these perfectly crispy, charred, juicy little bits of meat. And they became so popular that they started to sell them as a sandwich. And Kansas City became known for burnt ends. The problem is, as other restaurants started to copy it, there's just not that many tips. I mean, you, you know, that's a very right. limited supply. Sure. So they would just chop up chunks of brisket and leave the charred edges on them into little cubes, which are delicious. And a right. lot of restaurants serve them. They're delicious, but they're not really burnt ends. It's just this sort of like, they call them burnt ends. So you never know what you're getting when you go to a restaurant oh. and order them. Right. And you can get them and you can very much enjoy what you're eating because it's chunks of juicy, delicious brisket. But for the burnt end experience, I mean, that perfectly marbled, juicy, oh, I mean, it's like the first time I bit into it. <laughs> I just, I started to giggle and I got a little dizzy. I was like, what is this? I mean, it was just wow. so delicious. So at Arthur Bryant's, yeah. they're not fudging the burnt ends. The, there's only a, a short supply of them and they only serve the real stuff. Well, you have, mm, 
You have to read oh, the menu. You have to, you have to read the oh, menu. Because okay. when you go to the menu, when you look at the menu board, the, you know, you order at the counter and it says you can either order burnt ends or brisket tip burnt ends, which are in limited supply. Uh, and sometimes they'll run out of those. So, uh, I mean, and everything at Arthur Bryant's, I mean, that's the famous, I mean, that's the landmark restaurant that made Kansas City barbecue famous. Everything there is absolutely spectacular and you're going to enjoy it. But if you want the real burn-ins, you kind of got to get there early. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. And then you talk about one called Shawnee's Bait City Barbecue. Yes. Which I love this. I love this description. You say it looks like it was designed like a fraternity, like yeah. it was done by a bunch <laughs> of fraternity brothers and it's run by this guy's son. Yes. So it must feel like a fraternity yes. there. Uh, but what makes this one so special? You know, it's barbecue. You either go for the food or you go for the vibe. And mm -hmm. the vibe is just as as legitimate an attraction as the food. Because when you go for the vibe, I mean, it's it's a communal experience of sitting at these tables with strangers sometimes and eating with your hands and getting grease everywhere and just kind of slopping this stuff up. And that's the vibe at Shawnee's Bates. And that mm -hmm. actually, Bates City is a tiny town about, you know, about an hour outside of Kansas City where this place started and they expanded to, to the big city of Kansas City. And it's just, <laughs> you know, and they're in there just having a great time. And it's, you know, the owner's yeah. sons are making TikTok videos and laughing and making fun of each other as they get through their day and kind of a, just a bunch of hooligans that are, I mean, it's, you know, very professional and I don't want right, to, you know, it's right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, yes. And, no, absolutely. But you know, they're just, uh, it's, they're really nice. And you know, you just, you go there and they pride themselves on the friendly atmosphere. That's one of my personal favorites. And that's why I put them on the list because that's my go-to place. You know, it's kind of my huh. neighborhood. Well, and but, it's also affordable. You said yes. that they have this $15 rib, rib deal, which is, you know, great. Well, and the reason that that's important is in barbecue, anywhere you go in the world, barbecue is a big process and getting consistency is their main challenge because barbecue huh. is not cooked every day. Firing up that pit is not something that happens every day because it's such a massive operation. And so barbecue restaurants will choose certain days that they cook certain things. And so you can go to some of these places where on one day it'll be delicious, but then on the next day it's been sitting around. And wow. yeah. Wow. And so, you know, only a place like Joe's has the, the volume that they're really turning, you know, cooking every day or Gates huh. is big enough. And so when you go to some of these other places, that's why they're only open on the weekends because mm -hmm. it's so hard getting it cooked and it baits, you know, right. you know, to go on Thursdays because that's when they're cooking the ribs. <laughs> Interesting. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so we have the places where it looks like a frat house and then you have <laughs> yuppie barbecue. Yes. A Q39, just the, the oh. name of it does not sound like a barbecue joint. Yes. And they, oh, I mean, they... That if you want to get into an argument in Kansas City, <laughs> people are polarized about this place because you go in and they have a, a white bean cassoulet and people are like, well, what is a cassoulet? I mean, we don't even know what that is. <laughs> and it's just, you know, the barbecue aficionados who have been eating barbecue their whole lives. I mean, they're used to plastic trays and ordering at the counter 
cheap prices and you know right. you get what you get in q39 it's this everything is sort of you know taken to the next level and they you know they enter barbecue contests all the time and win all these barbecue contests and he's a classically trained chef and it's like some people huh. just don't want that you know they don't want it but i right. tell you what it is their beef brisket wow i mean just these thick slices where you bite into them and they're just they're nice and meaty, but you can just slice right through them with your teeth and so juicy. And it's like, you know what? When you know how to cook, you know how to cook. And yeah. they really, I mean, it is, you can skip all the fancy stuff, <laughs> which I usually do. And uh-huh. um, I just get a barbecue sandwich and it is, oh, it's good. <laughs> well, you've really brought it to life, both in this interview and in the wonderful article. I wish we could show the pictures over this podcast because there's so much fun oh, of, of seeing people with barbecue sauce all over their faces <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, sitting at these 1930s lunch counters. And it really makes you want to go to Kansas City. It really, it's, and you know, it's like when you go to Chicago and try the different pizzas or you go mm-hmm. to Philadelphia for the cheesesteaks. I mean, it really is the fun of trying the different places and you know each sauce is so unique with the spices that mm-hmm. they use and really finding the one that you like and it's like it's and that's why the title is like you know these are the best places don't hate us cuz like i mean you're going to evoke a reaction when people take it personally when you say oh well this place is better than that place and they're like no how you know how could you leave out my favorite place? You know, and it's like, <laughs> it just, you know, yeah. go try them all. And like, you know, to find the, find the sandwich that you love. I mean, I can eat the, the sliced pork sandwich at LC's every day. I mean, it's oh my just... goodness! But don't, you won't be with us for too long. No, that's if the you problem. Do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I mean, and that's also what makes it a great place for a vacation because you know, you, you ditch the diet for a couple of days and just indulge. Yes. And and you also get a real uh, taste. I hate to put it that way, but a real taste of local culture. It is. And Kansas City, you know, is becoming a lot of the, the, the food industry has pegged Kansas City as the new food destination. And you'll read these hmm. articles when they say, oh, well, this restaurant is run by a, a chef that was trained in, in New York and moved to Kansas City. Like, you know, we don't need other people. You know, we've been eating well. <laughs> we've been eating well right. forever. I mean, Kansas, right. Kansas City, it doesn't have a beach. It doesn't have mountains. The draw here is we eat well. And the culture here, whether it's barbecue or, or otherwise, the quality of the food here really is some of the best in the country. And people here know how to eat. And it's like, you know, we don't need other people legitimizing how great it is. We know it's great. And that's why we eat constantly here. (laughs) Absolutely right. I'm going to make that the last word. Thank you so much, Dan, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. Oh, thank you so much. This has been a thrill. Thank you. And that's it for this week's show, but I wanted to end with a PSA. People are really, really having trouble getting passports right now. In fact, when I was recently at the Atlanta Travel and Adventure Show, I spoke with a very nice young man from the State Department, 
about why the chaos is happening there. He explained to me that in the last record year for issuing passports, they issued 22 million passports. Right now, if demand keeps going the way it is, the passport agency will be issuing 26 million passports. You add to that the fact that they are understaffed, uh, partially thanks to the last administration's two-year hiring freeze, partially because, let's face it, every business is understaffed right now, and you have a real problem. So what do you do? We cover this on Fromers.com, but since you're listening to this podcast, I'll, I'll clue you in. Go to your congressperson's office. They have the inside track. They have a way to get passports that sidesteps the overwhelmed system at the passport agency. And the passport agency is overwhelmed. My daughter actually had to get her passport expedited. She was going away for spring break. She's in college. And her, this is where I learned it. I learned this from my daughter, my, my younger daughter, Beatrix. She was told by her university to go to the congressperson's office because she spent literally seven or eight hours trying to get through to the passport office on the phone to make an appointment, which is the only way you can make an appointment for an expedited appointment. You you actually can't do it uh, online right now if you need your passport expedited. And the phone system just kept hanging up on her. She never spoke to a human being. That is common right now, unfortunately. So if you go to your congressperson's office, they can help you. She called her congressperson's office in Illinois where she's in school, and within an hour, she had an appointment to get her passport uh, expedited, and she got to go to Mexico. So that's just some of the really smart helpful advice we have on fromers.com. So I hope you'll visit us there. And let me say, as I always do at this point, if you are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Shit.